Hey, good morning, Christ Community Church. So glad you're here this morning on Sunday. I wanted to let you know that um, this morning is Saturday morning while we're taping this, but you're seeing it on Sunday morning. And on this Sunday morning, the elders and the staff are getting together, some in the sanctuary, some by video, to pray together and to consider what we're planning on doing as we move forward. And I thought I'd take a few minutes here just to make some comments before we get to the sermon part of our worship service today. Uh, First of all, if you have any needs, physically, emotionally, financially, uh, please don't hesitate to call the church office and Carly will receive your message and get it out to the right person or you can call uh, your elder. They are happy to hear from you and of course, where we're going to be proactively contacting you all in many different ways. Probably the most frequently asked question that uh, I get and, and you have and we have of our government officials is, when are we going to be able to meet again? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I had a, a magic eight ball here in my desk and I could pull it up and tell you when it's going to happen. But We don't know. Uh, Our policy at this point is to continue to go by the governor's policy. And until he makes a change, then we won't have any change in what we do in terms of meeting together. Uh, Just listening to news, just like you all, it sure sounds like things are still shutting down. So I would think in terms of weeks rather than days. I wouldn't want anyone to think, hey, I think it's all going to be done by April the 1st. I think there's going to be another decision made that's going to extend this out. So I just would want you to have in your mind, this is going to be several more weeks rather than just one or two more Sundays. But again, we don't know. So we'll be in contact with you and you'll probably know when we do, because we'll hear something together from the news. And I would hope that you would pray for our public officials, men and women. They have to make very difficult decisions that you might not like, that might be very painful You might not agree with even, uh, but we need to work together in doing our part to follow whatever their guidelines are. So we're trying to do that at Christ Community Church. We want you to be doing that at home. Uh, Another question that I get pretty frequently is uh, about giving. And we realize that this moment is a particularly stressful moment financially for many people, businesses, and and churches. Thankfully, we have paid off our mortgage, and we did that uh, by your generosity in January of this year, so we're very glad about that. We've had a great capital campaign, and so we feel like in a, in a general sense, we're in a great place financially. We, because of the stewardship and uh, financial uh, capacity of our elders and deacons, We have about a four-month financial reserve surplus that we will be tapping into if that's necessary, depending on how long this uh, coronavirus shutdown lasts. We are, as I said, meeting together uh, this morning and will be eliminating any discretionary spending of the church uh, immediately. But probably our our most pressing concern is uh, the financial needs that we're going to have coming from uh, the church and from the community particularly. So we expect, even though we're trying to shut things down financially here as much as we can, we expect a pretty big increase in requests for help in some way. And so the longer that uh, the shutdown extends, the, the, the greater that need is going to be. And we're going to try to answer that in the best way that we can. Uh, currently, just in terms of what we've been doing this week, and you may not know this, I think it's helpful to know, is that we're currently helping deliver food every weekday 
to families in Royal Palms. And we also have a partnership with what Liz Cooper has done with our El Cuerpo ministry. We have a partnership with UNCW Latino Alliance. And they are sending out boxes of food to families. So we've sent out a, we've helped them send out 150 boxes of food through uh, Nourish North Carolina. We're also helping to deliver daily uh, school lunches to 14 other Hispanic neighborhoods. Uh, yesterday, some of our volunteers were out at Royal Palms and they were delivering food door to door to the families there in that community. And one of the moms there who has two students in our tutoring program said, those people are like angels on the earth to us. So we are grateful to be God's hands and feet at this particular moment. And as you can imagine, as we interface with these people, uh, a lot of questions come up, a lot of needs arise. A lot of these folks are people that live paycheck to paycheck. So we're going to have an increase of needs as we continue to go through. Our hope is that you'll continue to give to Christ Community Church. The easiest way for you to do that is online. So you go to the church website, and there's a tab there that you can give uh, and just give through the website. If you're not comfortable with that, you can send a check through the mail, obviously. And then there are a few people, and, and I would put myself in this category as well, that uh, we have some financial stability and ability, and I would ask on uh, behalf of, of the church that uh, those folks would give above and beyond what they're giving right now to help cover expenses that aren't going to get covered in this time by the church and also to help people who are in need. I want to just say thank you because you all have been so generous and that's put us in a great position right here. And I think God would expect something from us in that way. And we're trying to do our best to uh, steward our current resources for the church and our staff as well as the many people in the community that we'll be in touch with over the next month or two. Finally, uh, we're looking into additional ways to connect just like this uh, video or, or Instagram or other social media platforms. If this lasts longer, we want to have a way that we're connecting with you throughout the week. And so we might be producing a video like this uh, during the week that you can connect with. There'll be some things that I'll be doing, and you should look for those this coming week, and there'll be an email sent out to you to tell you how you should connect or what time you should anticipate something coming to you in that way. So thanks to Ty and Will Cooper and Philip Varvaris and Carly and all the people that are making that happen because uh, if they were relying on me to do it... Uh, I'm kind of in the smoke signals uh, ability. So we are very, very grateful that uh, they have that kind of capacity and ability. Uh, this morning, uh, I am not preaching, but we have we had asked Sam Kennedy to come in probably four or five months ago to preach for us. And I thought it was good to keep him on the schedule. Most of you know Sam. He's a good friend of mine. He was in a the Young Life Club that I helped lead when he was in high school at Hoggard High School. And he was also a person who lived in my house while I was on the Young Life staff here for a few months as he began his um, staff time here. And then he became the area director for Young Life. And as you know, he then moved to being on staff here at Christ Community Church. And then last year, about this time last year, told me he was going to move to being the RUF director on the campus of UNCW. So we're very proud of Sam. Most of you are very used to Sam. Uh, we've already heard his message, and he's got a great message for you this morning from the book of Exodus. So before we begin that, I want to just read one passage of Scripture here and, and want you to 
pray with me. In Luke chapter 24, there's a lot of confusion that's happening in uh, the lives of the disciples. Jesus has died. He's been reported to have risen again. Not everybody believes it. And the disciples and some other people are huddled into a room together. And the, the scripture says this, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. So that's the, the phrase that I want us to focus on here in our prayer is that in the midst of um, confusion, in the midst of a lot of um, circumstances that are outside of our control, in the midst of a lot of internal chaos that you may be experiencing, Jesus can come into your life and say, peace, peace to you. So let's pray together. Lord, we are praying for that peace, the peace that passes understanding. We need you to penetrate the walls of our hearts, our minds, our souls. And come in and breathe this word of peace to us. Would you strengthen us? Would you help us know how to continue to spur one another on to encourage one another? Would you give us wisdom on knowing how to help people who are in great need? Would you give us the discipline to slow down and to realize that you are still sovereignly in control of all things? Would you give us your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to everyone who's watching uh, from home or wherever you are. Uh, my name is Sam Kennedy. I'm the campus minister for RUF at UNCW. And uh, it's a real honor to be here uh, preaching and teaching God's Word this morning. And I hope that wherever you are, you were able to take some time out of your day and rest and maybe gather together with your family. Uh, we were able to watch Paul's sermon in our house uh, last week, and we had just like a little family worship time. So I hope this is restful and helpful and encouraging uh, for you. The, the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning comes from uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, and Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 through verse 9. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can take a minute or pause and grab a Bible and find it, and then uh, we'll read this scripture together. Uh, this semester in RUF, we've been going through kind of the history of the covenants that God makes with his people. And the way we've been talking about covenants with the college students in RUF is saying that covenants are God's way of defining the relationship with his people, uh, letting them know who he is and who they are and where they stand in relationship to him and how they can uh, expect him uh, to act in their behalf. And this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at really the second big phase of God's covenant of grace that he makes with his people. The first was with Abraham uh, in the book of Genesis. And that relationship that God has with Abraham is the template for relationship with God throughout the whole rest of the Bible. That God comes uh, 
to his people and he says, if you will have faith in me, you will be counted righteous. And then uh, we come to Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and we see that God has the promises that God makes to Abraham uh, to uh, make a great people from him, uh, to, to give his presence to them and bless them, and then to bring them into a special place uh, called the promised land, that two of those promises have really come true. Abraham's family has grown into this great nation, uh, that God has blessed them and multiplied them, and, and they have been fruitful even in this land of Egypt, but they are actually stuck in Egypt, uh, and that they aren't in the promised land. And so um, God comes and decides to rescue uh, his people. So let's uh, look at this uh, scripture together, shall we? Exodus chapter 2, and we'll just read verses 23 and 24 and then skip over to Exodus chapter 6. Uh, this is God's word. It, said, it says, uh, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Turning to Exodus chapter 6, this is what it says. God is speaking to Moses here. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? (sighs) Heavenly Father, we know that the grass withers, the flowers fade, lives roll in and roll out like the tides of the ocean. But your word stands firm forever. Would you feed us with it this morning? Would you wash us with your word? Would you call us to yourself? Would you stir up uh, desire to honor and serve you through this word? Would you make it come alive to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
Mark Twain uh, once commented that a man who carries a cat by the tail learns a lesson that he can learn in no other way. You just take a minute and kind of think that over for a second. And uh, what I think Mark Twain is trying to say in his uh, very pithy way is that there are certain experiences uh, that are so visceral, uh, that are so vital, that are so full of emotional uh, content that we really can't learn them except by experiencing them firsthand. I mean, and that's the true, uh, that's true for so many things with us as human beings, but especially, I think, with spiritual truths, uh, with spiritual lessons, uh, we tend to be uh, really leaky vessels. You've experienced this, I- I'm sure, uh, that, that maybe you know God is good, you know God's in control, and you hear, let's say, a, a, a great dynamic biblical sermon on Sunday morning, uh, and then by Monday morning, it all kind of fades away like, a, like the dream from the night before. Uh, we, as human beings, are really leaky vessels. And so we need to constantly uh, be reminded of the truths of the gospel. We need to have them pressed uh, deeply into our hearts so we don't forget them. And often we need to have those truths walked out on the road of our lives so we can really uh, believe it and live according to what we've learned. And so this morning, the truth that God is going to teach to us and the, the truth that he taught to his people Israel is the truth that God is at his best when things are at their worst. Uh, When people are desperate, uh, when the situation is dark, God's light shines brightest. The lesson that God wants to show uh, his people is that there is no situation that is so chaotic that God cannot move into it and bring order to it. There is no misery that we will face in this life that is deeper than God's mercy. I wonder, do you believe that? I mean, right now, in, in the midst of uh, the quarantine and the social distancing and, and the panic and the fear uh, about this virus, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that things cannot get so bad that God cannot redeem them? Do you believe that God is actually bigger than this situation? And maybe you do believe it, but maybe you're having a hard time remembering it. And my hope for us this morning is we'd be able to look at this passage and be encouraged and reminded that God is bigger, that God is greater, that God is better and mightier than anything that we will face in this world, and that his promises will stand, that they always come true. Because our God is a remembering and a rescuing God. So I want to look first at God's faithful rescue of His covenant people from three different angles. First, I want to look at our situation. Second, I want to look at the response of our covenant God. And then third, I want to see the Redeemer that God provides for His covenant people. So first, let's look at the situation of God's covenant people. And I just want to ask, when you're stuck, when you have nowhere else to turn, what do you do? 
when all your options are exhausted, uh, what do you do? Now, God's people were really, really stuck at this point. I mean, they, they had come into Egypt um, through the work of Joseph, who was working as kind of the CFO of the Egyptian empire at this time. They had come in from a famine, and then they had grown so numerous because you know, God blessed them and, and promised to make them a great nation. And so that was coming true. And because God's promises were coming true, they faced opposition. The Egyptians were afraid of them and, and hated them, and so they enslaved God's people, uh, and they put them into forced labor. And in fact, it got so bad at this point, and the people were becoming so numerous that they started enforcing uh, infanticide. They would murder the firstborn children, uh, murder all the male sons. And so they would throw them into the Nile. Uh, It it was really, really bad. And in fact, you can see in um, chapter 6, at the very end, that last verse I read, verse 9, how bad it actually was. God's people were so stuck, they were so miserable, that when freedom was offered to them, they couldn't even reach out and grab it themselves. They were kind of like that uh, character Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, which if you thought that you were going to get through a sermon of mine without a Lord of the Rings reference, you, I mean... You were totally wrong. Gollum, if you remember, is this creature who is so twisted um, by his desire for this ring of power that he goes and lives in these caverns and catacombs under a, a great mountain. And he's been living in the dark for so long that any time he sees the light, he shrinks back from it. Uh, that when people are trying to help him, he can't reach out and respond to them. And that, that's kind of the picture that we have of God's people here, that they're so used to the dark, they can't stand the offer of light. And the reason they're so stuck is because the powers of evil and darkness have an ex- enslaving effect. Uh, the Bible looks at this situation of God's people in Egypt and they use it as, as a template and, and uh, a symbol of the kind of slavery and bondage that we experience as a result of sin. Both uh, our own sin and the sins uh, of others. And so God's people are stuck. Now, some of you know uh, what it's like uh, to feel like you're stuck that you're frozen, that you're imprisoned because of uh, the darkness in the world around you or the darkness of other people. But there's a different kind of darkness that enslaves us, and I just want to touch on it for a moment. It's a darkness that's not imposed upon us, but it's a darkness that we choose for ourselves. Because, you see, the Bible is very clear that all sin enslaves us and that Uh, sometimes the slave masters that we choose for ourselves, uh, they come to us promising life and freedom. There's a a song by uh, the band, the Avit Brothers, who would have been playing at the Azalea Festival um, in April, but now will not be. Uh, They have a song called Ill With Want, and it talks about this, this dynamic of being captured. It says, I am sick with wanting. And it's evil how it's got me. And every day is worse than the one before. Listen to this. It says, the more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be. If only I could get a little more. 
And then he says, I need for something. Something has me. I wonder if you can relate to that. There's something that I think I need and I'm sick with wanting it. And when I have it, it feels like I I just need a little bit more to be satisfied. And that thing that I think I've grabbed a hold of to bring me life, that something has me. You see, the Bible is very clear that whatever it is in your life that you grant the power to bring you happiness, that thing has you. That all of us are slaves, whether we're slaves to God or slaves to work or slaves to the um, exciting experiences or the approval of other people. That those things have you. And the way that you can realize that they've got you is kind of in two ways. Uh, One, when you fail that thing. Uh, When you, let's say... uh, if you're focused on uh, making money and providing for your family, which is not a, a bad thing, but then the stock market crashes and it feels like your life is crashing. Well, now you know that that, that thing has you. If uh, you love going to work every week and um, kind of making deals happen and uh, directing other people and, and building your business and you love that sense of, of um, ownership and control and agency that you get to exercise at work. You love being creative and making things happen and then that gets taken away from you because you have to sit at home for 15 days. And you feel like you're losing control of your life. Well, that's because being in control has you. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is when something has us, what can we do? And and what the Israelites do here is is, uh, instructive. They cry out and they groan. And I I just want you to, to notice for a moment That this groaning that God's people experience, the groaning is a gift. That the groaning is uh, God's spirit working inside of them, allowing them to see the misery of their situation and to cry out to God. If God, in his mercy, decides to reveal uh, something that has you caught in slavery, if he in his mercy has allowed those false masters uh, to come up short in your life, praise him. His grace is at work in your life and he is drawing you to himself. And so what you can do in those moments is you can cry out to God. God's people are stuck. They literally groan and cry out. And as we shall see, God is ready to hear his people. Now, I want to encourage you that that sometimes when we're confronted with sin and slavery and darkness and and, um, 
feeling stuck. Some of us just double down and isolate ourselves, or some of us just try to redirect and find another slave master. And I I would encourage you uh, to cry out to God. God invites us to cry out and to cry up to Him. That's actually the best thing that you can do. God uh, says to His people in the book of Hosea, to cry out to him. He says uh, to his people, they don't cry to me from their heart. They just wail upon their beds. They return, but they don't return upward. They're like a treacherous bow. And so I wonder for you, do you cry out or do you just cry down? Do you cry out to the things of this world? Do you just cry into your beds rather than crying up and out to God? God is, as we will see, a God who is ready to hear, and to respond. In this situation when we're stuck, what does God do? Well, God responds by keeping His promises. And what we're going to see is that God's actions flow out of His character. Everything that God does flows out of who God is. In chapter 6, God is, uh, gives, takes Moses aside and gives him a little sermon to prepare him for this great act of redemption that's going to happen. I just want you to look in chapter 6, the way God uh, describes what's going to happen uh, to Moses. God says, I am the Lord, which basically just means I am who I am. I am right now who I have been in the past and who I will be in the future. It's this statement of God's eternality, uh, a statement of God's unchanging, dependable character. And, and just listen to how God frames this, uh, this, this sermon. He starts by saying, I am the Lord. And then he lists these promises that he has kept in the past. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I established my covenant with them. I've heard the groaning of my people. I have remembered my covenant promises. And then listen to this. I will bring you out from under your burdens. I will deliver you from your slavery. I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and I will bring you into this land. God says, this is the name that you need to remember me by. I am who I am. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. God is saying, I am who I am. And he's bookending all these promises. The statement of his purposes and his plan with these two anchors of his unchanging character. As if to say, I am the same one that did this in the past and I will continue to be the same one in the future. God is telling us we can make judgments about God in light of our circumstances or we can choose to make judgments about our circumstances in the light of God's unchanging character. Now, being the Lord, God's uh, character, His knowledge, His eternality means that there is nothing that is hidden from His sight. Because God sees and knows everything. If you'll look back 
in uh, chapter 2, it says at the very end, after it describes um, their situation, it says, God saw and God knew. And when God uh, speaks to Moses out of the burning bush in chapter 3, verse 7, this is what he says. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. Because God is who he is, it is impossible for him not to know what's going on. It is impossible for any situation to be bigger than he is. We have a seeing and a knowing and a living and an active God. The very same God who spoke to Moses is our God right now. And he sees you and he hears you and he knows what's going on in your life. Now, we can have hope when we're stuck because the seeing, knowing God is a God who remembers his promises. Would you look at verse um, 24? In chapter 2, it says, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And, and so we have to ask, okay, if God already knows everything, and God doesn't change, right? God, God, it, God's perfect. Uh, so God can't learn something that he didn't already know, uh, because then he would be changing from... Um, a less knowledgeable God to a more knowledgeable God. So there is no data that's inaccessible to God. So it, when, God, when it says God remembers, it's not like how you know, I forget where my keys are, or I forget where my water bottle is, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the night I wake up and, and I go to get it. Uh, all information is always present to God. So what does it mean when it says God remembers When it says God remembers his covenant, it doesn't just mean he's thinking about his people because he's always thinking about you. It it means that God is preparing to act for his people. It means that God is looking at his covenant promises that he has made and he's about to break open the seal on them. That God is preparing to act in great acts of redemption and judgment, he's about to fulfill the promises that he has made to his people. That's what's happening. God is about to respond in faithfulness to the covenant promises of his people. And and just briefly, I, I think we need to underscore this. Because... Some of us have uh, this idea, and it's out there kind of in popular culture, that, that, um, that we need to kind of meet God halfway. Uh, that that's how relationship works. Like you kind of do your part, and then the other party kind of does their part. Um, I was actually, uh, <laughs> so funny. I, I never thought that I would say these words out loud in semi-public. But uh, the other day, I was watching uh, a YouTube video of like a worship band that I really like, which is normal. That does happen. But then uh, their uh, trailer came up at the beginning of the video for this uh, kind of romantic comedy on Pure Flix. And I thought, okay, I'll watch this and see what it is because we c- I couldn't just 
uh, forward past the trailer for this pure flicks romantic comedy. And so I was looking at it, and it, it, the plot of it was kind of like a mix between um, uh, the Reese Witherspoon movie Sweet Home Alabama and uh, the the uh, Sandra Bullock movie Hope Floats, and then also My Cousin Vinny, where there's like a kind of fish out of water, hotshot lawyer that comes into this small southern town. And then, um, well, then there's also Jesus thrown in, of course, because it's a pure flicks uh, movie. So then that person, uh, one of the scenes in the trailer uh, shows this woman who's sitting in, a, I think, a church service. And the preacher says, if you do your part, God will do his part. And I thought, I don't think that's true. Pure Flicks, you know, YouTube trailer preacher guy. Um, It's true in a way. There is a sense in which God has commanded us to obey his law, and he has promised to be faithful to respond to us. Uh, But sometimes when people say, you just need to do your part and then God will do his part, um, they're assuming way too much ability and way too much freedom and way too much agency on the part of sinful Uh, broken, stuck human beings. Because if you look at the situation of the Israelites, what was their part? What could they do? All they could do is cry out. They couldn't get up and walk to God because they were stuck. When you are stuck in sin, when you are stuck in darkness, when something has you, the Bible describes that as being dead in sin. But the good news of the gospel is God looks at a people who cannot do their part, who cannot get up and walk to God, who have no ability, who are in the grave. And God speaks to the dead, dry bones of a people who are stuck in darkness in a situation that they cannot get out of. And he says, live, come to me, breathe. And he makes us alive. And he calls us to himself and he calls us out of darkness. Your part is to be needy. Your part is to cry out to God and to ask him to rescue you. And when you do that, what does God promise to do? Well, he promises to be faithful to his covenant. He promises to rescue a people for himself to be their God, to never leave them or forsake them, to fight their battles for them, and in the end, to bring them home into his presence, into a land where there is no more dying or crying or sickness or pain. Do you believe that? Now, the way God brings his people out of slavery is instructive for us. And just briefly, I want to look at that as we finish. Here, In Exodus, we see the first time in covenant history, this little wrinkle of God rescuing his people through a redeemer, through an appointed covenant servant named Moses. You see, because we are so stuck, because we can't get to God on our own, we actually need someone to stand in for us. And that's what Moses does. Moses stands in for the Israelites when they're stuck in slavery, when they don't even know if they can believe the promises of God. Moses believes for them. And he 
calls to them and he preaches to them and he's patient with them and he leads them out of slavery into the promised land. We need a redeemer. We need a representative to deliver God's word to us and also to deliver God's people from slavery. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who speaks to God on our behalf and who speaks to the forces of darkness and evil and fights them and ultimately crushes them under his heel for us. Jesus is the one who fights your battles for you. Jesus is the one who delivers you out of sickness and fear. Jesus is the one who is strong when you can't be strong yourself. And blessing, the covenant blessings that God has promised, they come to us when we believe in the servant that God has provided. You know, the Israelites who were stuck in slavery, they had a choice. They could either believe the words of Pharaoh or they could believe the words of the man that God had appointed. God has appointed a covenant servant named Jesus Christ who speaks the word of God to us, who gives us the gospel, who has said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And those whom I call, they will come to me and I will not lose any one of them. Jesus says, if you come to me and you take my easy yoke upon you, you'll have peace. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I wonder, um, do you know him? In this time, are you clinging to his word? Are you resting in his work on your behalf? Jesus is an even better redeemer an even better mediator than Moses. I mean, Mo- Moses was terrified. Uh, Moses didn't even make it into the promised land himself because he didn't always obey God's word. But Jesus was made like us in every way. He knows what it's like to suffer. He's, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to live in a world full of darkness and sickness and fear and sin. And Jesus has overcome the world and he is holding in his hand the keys to death and hell. And he's saying, follow me out of darkness into the light of God's presence. Would you trust in him? Would you cling to him? Would you follow him? You know, this season that we're in right now is really dark. <laughs> it's really difficult. And, and when I wrote this sermon uh, for our students uh, before they left for spring break, I had no idea what would happen. But God knew. God is not taken by surprise. And I wonder, would you trust him in this time? 
God has made promises to rescue his people. He's made promises uh, to bring every single one of his children home to him. And God has also promised to be with us uh, in times of sickness, in times of plague, in times of war, in times of calamity, in times of natural disaster. God has said that these things will come. And he has promised to be with us and to deliver us. God's people uh, who were struggling under the whips of their slave masters could have had no idea that they were living inside a fulfilled promise. That right there, as they were suffering, as they were groaning, as they were crying, God was actually fulfilling his word. Do you understand that right now we are living inside of a fulfilled promise? That God is working right now to rescue us. And even, I hope, to call people out of darkness, to call people out of unbelief, to call people out of selfishness and shallowness and callousness and pleasure and vanity to believe in Him, to trust in Him, to realize that life and death are at stake. And they're very real. And eternity is real. And grace is real. And the Scriptures are real. And God is real. And Jesus has conquered death. We have an empty tomb and a risen Savior who right now is praying for us and gathering His people to Himself. Do you believe that? Would you trust in Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you are the Lord, past, present, and future. You are good. You are holy. You are powerful. You hold our lives in your hand. Lord, would you remember your people? Lord, would you rescue your people? Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the words of Jesus calling to us. And would you write your law on our hearts so that we could be faithful to do everything you have put in it, to be obedient to you in the midst of a crooked and depraved and dark generation. Lord, may we shine like the stars. Help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.